This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms on MPV Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Joining us, us via uh, Comrex, we have a special cable that goes right from Jackson to Oxford that he helps, uh, t- he gets to us. How are, you, how are you doing today, Professor Gershon? Doing great, Liz. It's great to uh, be here with Rick Courtney today. Uh, you know, Rick is a leading expert in elder law and a great resource for the state of Mississippi. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law, uh, teaches our students uh, one of our skills classes, and uh, we're real lucky to have him as a resource. And this is an important topic uh, because I read something today that uh, so many people will be living longer but really are not planning for uh, their long-term care, and uh, and it's National Elder Law Month, so uh, Rick is the perfect guest for today's show. And thanks for being with us today. It's always my pleasure to be here. And, uh, yeah, the, the Richard Courtney is from the Courtney Law Elder Associates. You That's right. Frascona Courtney is our firm. My partner's Mike Frascona. He teaches entertainment law. And someone has said, well, you're the Grammys and Grannies law firm, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I chair the elder law and estate planning section of the firm. So. And, and that is true. The, the firm specializes in elder law, special needs planning, because that's mm-hmm. close to your heart. Yes, I have an adult daughter with disabilities. So over 30 years ago, we got into special needs planning and helping families navigate those issues uh, with Medicaid and SSI and caregiving, all those types of things. So you can really uh, empathize and have been in, this, in the place of some of your clients. Yes, I identify and I tell people my daughter has had three different Medicaid programs. Programs. Uh, she's been on uh, Social Security. She's on Social Security disability now, like someone who's worked and uh, gotten disabled. She's been on SSI. Uh, so we are very familiar with, from a personal aspect, with those different notices and procedures and programs, uh, as well as just from the professional perspective. Well, Rick, you know, it is National Elder Law Month. And I want to know, um, what is elder law exactly? I mean, now that I'm uh, feeling that, like I'm getting more into that range, what do, what do you mean by elder law? That's right. And I'm 65, too, so I'm, I'm proudly bearing my Medicare card since last November. So uh, the elder law is, is unique in law practice areas in that it does not focus on the particular type of law that's practiced, like divorce law or tax law or bankruptcy law. But elder law is a focus on the issues and problems of a particular population, and that is people who are getting older 
and people with disabilities of any age, even children with special needs, fall under elder law. So that's the that's the distinction. Elder law deals with uh, public benefits, with incapacity planning. How do you make decisions for yourself if your capacity is starting to wane, and how can you arrange for others to be able to make decisions for you if you can't? Uh, it deals with tax issues. What's the tax effect if I deed my house to my kids? Now, I get that question a lot. Can I deed my property to my children? Yes, you can, but there are some tax effects, uh, which Professor Gershon knows intimately uh, with doing that, possibly capital gains and so forth. So it's housing issues. It's public benefits, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and, and a whole host of different things. Well, and listeners, we want to know what you want to know, so please be sure to call in. This is a show for you. That's why we have our uh, excellent resources, Richard Courtney and Richard Gershon, and our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email, the address legal terms at mpbonline.org and we do have an email to start and this will hit on probably a variety of points that we can expound upon uh good day sir my grandmother passed away in 2007 Prior to her passing, she explained that my half-brother and I were executors on her will. Long story short, she was a resident of Miami, Florida, but owned her home in Jamaica. I never saw the will, and unclear as as to where the will was even drawn up, us, the U.S. or abroad, nor was I sure how to find out. I do know she said she had bank accounts for me and the home in Jamaica was supposed to be divided up to the five of the six grandchildren. Her eldest grandchild was given a home outright for herself and she was the only one living before my grandfather's premature death. I have asked my half-brother to see the will, but he's been evasive. Not sure if statutes of limitation have an effect on this situation. My grandmother also added before she passed that these half-siblings would be stealing from me and my two siblings. That's got a lot to unpack. Can you touch on some of that? I can I can start it and probably let Professor Gershon elaborate a little bit. And it sounds like she was a resident of Florida at her death. Therefore, Florida law would govern a probate of her will. Generally, that's the law. The uh, probate takes place in the state of your residence at the time of death. So I'm not sure Mississippi law has anything to do with this situation. Uh, also, there's not a statute of limitations on how long you have to have before you have to probate a will. I have probated wills 20 years after someone died when there became a need to, uh, but I'm not sure what Florida law provides. And so uh, Dean Gershon or Professor Gershon, having having, uh, been in Florida for some length of practice, uh, he might be able to elaborate on some of those things. Well, and I would would add that if the house is in Jamaica, then that's probably real estate would have to be under Jamaica law, which would be a a totally different thing. Uh, So that's 
that's you know something to consider. This is a cautionary tale, though, because when we talk about estate planning, uh, you know, when Rick and I talk about estate planning, we're really talking about life planning. And part of life planning is when you pick someone to be your executor, your personal representative. It, you're not creating a mystery novel for them. You need to you need to give them all the documents they're going to need. Uh, so if we could go back in time, the advice I would have given the grandmother is to go ahead and give a copy of the will to the two people she was appointing as executor to make sure they knew where everything was, that they knew how to find things when, when they died. Uh, my wife and I, for example, had picked our executor. It's, it's her sister. And we've given our sister-in-law a copy of our will. We've given her a copy of the important documents. And the key to our safe deposit box, because if something were to happen to us, she would have easy access to everything she needed uh, to administer her her estate. Unfortunately, what happens is people will orally tell uh, their family members, you're going to be the executor, and then that's the last information that person has. And and, uh, then it's kind of a mystery novel. And as a practitioner, I tell people who uh, ask, well, what should I do with my will? Or the executor who calls uh, the day after the funeral and says, well, we've all, we're all back at the house now, and what do I need to do? I tell them there are two things an executor has to do quickly, and that number one is secure the original will, because that original will has to be filed generally to probate an estate. And also, you need to know what it says, that you have the last original will. And the second thing is the executor needs to secure the property that the deceased person owned. That is, put locks or new uh, security codes on the house, take valuables out, uh, you know, have somebody there to document that you're moving them to a secure storage facility or something until the will can be probated and all those things distributed in an orderly fashion. So marshalling the assets of the estate and securing them is one thing, getting the original will in hand, and then I tell them, now once you do those two things, then sit back and take time to grieve. The family needs to get through the process, and when you're ready to come in and talk about probate and how to distribute these things, we can do that, but there's no rush on doing that. So you don't have to uh, bring out a will the day of the funeral or the next day even? No, but sort of uh, alluded to in the uh, emailer's scenario, if if a beneficiary requests that the will be probated, there is a procedure in our law that says an executor has to produce the will within a certain period of time after it's requested by another beneficiary. So uh, that could be something that the uh, emailer could contact a lawyer and say, well, I, I need some help getting this the will that I'm supposed to be executor of. All right. Well, we're going to continue our discussion of estate planning, of elder law, of special needs planning after the break with our guest, Richard Courtney. So if you have a question about those laws, please give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email legal terms at mpbonline.org do you have questions about legal issues surrounding nursing homes or wills and trusts we can get to those in our next segment you're listening to in legal terms on mpb think radio
listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guest is Richard Courtney, and he's been a great friend to MPB. You can hear him speak on our Money Talks May 22nd of 2018 show, and he was on our Legal Terms August 8th, 2017. This morning, we're talking about Medicaid claims or Social Security appeals, anything having to do with elder law or special needs or estate planning. We would love for you to call in with your questions, uh, just like John and Roger have done. Uh, Let me go ahead and take John's call. John, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Uh, You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I heard a mention of a 20-year possible uh, length of time before a will was probated. Is that under Mississippi law something I'm curious about with what I would call an executor? I think it's the same spelling and just different pronunciation of the word. If they can actually hold it up that long. Well, in this situation I was describing, John, um, the children of the deceased person, there was some real property involved, and they continued to use it. They didn't go to court to have the will probated that would uh, distribute ownership to them necessarily. They just left it in Dad's name. I'll say Dad. And and so they just continued to use the property, and later on they sort of got dispersed, and some of them got poor health, and they weren't using it as much, and their kids, the grandkids, did not have as much interest in using that land as their parents had. So the parents decided they needed to probate the will, and ordinarily creditors would have been cut out of the picture in that length of time, but this was some years ago, and uh, we found it necessary for some title insurance purposes to go ahead and probate that will to have Dad's distribution to them carried out. Uh, But, yeah, there, there hadn't been a need for it, they felt, before then. All right. Thank you, John, uh, for listening. And we had uh, Ayers property on right. last week. Angela so that, Wade, right. that was kind of uh, uh, they they had Ayers property before, but they had a will and then it just settled it a little bit later. That's right. And there's a new uniform act um, nationally about a partition of Ayers property. All right. Let's go to Roger in Florence. Roger, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, good morning. Thank you to you folks and uh, Rick and the Dean, because it's a wonderful program, as usual, and very informative. It, uh, just a point of interest, I'm on my way to New Orleans to the, uh, I guess they call it the spring meeting of the National College of Probate Judges. I've been a, I'm a lifetime member been since I was on the bench and just keeping up with things like this. And you hear all sorts of <clears throat> uh, 
judicial decisions in the various jurisdictions around the country, most of those judges are just probate judges, meaning they handle estates of all forms, and uh, some of them handle commitment matters. But in Mississippi, the chancery judges handle that as one of their many general jurisdiction responsibilities. So not only oversight as for the uh, administration of the estates by the fiduciary, but uh, but helping the lawyers do the right thing. So it's a real good program, and, and uh, I'm saying about the National College of Judicial, I mean, uh, probate judges, because we have very few. I may be the only one. The only one in from Mississippi, so I've publicized that, and the Mississippi uh, Judicial College has publicized it, and Judge Primos has put out word on it. He's the chairman of the Chancery Judges. So anyway, interesting stuff going on down there. One comment about what one of the conversations a moment ago is that I, I think it's important for the listeners to realize that whether or not you know of a will or know where it is, Probably, if there are air questions, go ahead and get somebody to just uh, open the estate. If you can get a creditor to do it, that's even better because they can pay the way. <laughs> and that may be necessary, you see. And but go ahead and get the estate going. Don't wait till you've got another generation involved in heirs. So maybe one of y'all could comment on that. Thanks for what you're doing. Again, I'm going to I'm gonna hang up and listen, but uh, thanks again for what you're doing. So long. Thanks for listening, Roger, and thanks for your service. Thank, Thank you, you, Judge Clapp. Yes, and uh, I, I'll speak to what he just mentioned. Uh, he mentioned that creditors can open estates. Yes, if, if a person died and they owed a bank loan or credit card company or something and the children don't want to deal with that, they're just going to not do anything and not bring the will to probate, creditors can open an involuntary estate so that they can have an opportunity to get paid. Because probate of a will, probate process is in the law not for the benefit of the heirs, but for the benefit of creditors. It is so that creditors can have an orderly process to get paid, and then the assets that pass on to the beneficiaries can be free and clear of those debts. All right. Well, we have two calls holding, and we've got an email. Let's go to Susan in Memphis. Susan, we're so glad that you've called in to In Legal Terms today with our guest, uh, Richard Courtney, to talk about uh, estates, elder care. Uh, What's your comment or question? My question is, I need a simple explanation of probate court. If you have a will, you own no property, there's nothing except bank account, which is POD, and there's three children, and everything in those accounts are to be divided three ways. Do I have to go through, or do they have to go through probate? What you've described, Susan, is uh, some types of non-probate assets, and it's possible that will would not have to be probated, because if the person who has died owned no real estate, but had bank accounts or financial accounts, and all of those accounts had either POD, that's naming a beneficiary to get them at death, or were joint accounts where there was a joint owner who's still living. Those would not go through the will if it was probated. Those would go to those 
designated beneficiaries. Also, life insurance beneficiaries or retirement plan like IRA beneficiaries, those people would get those assets regardless of what the will says. Uh, so you're... So I can quit worrying about probate, huh? I can't tell you you can quit... <laughs> right, I can't because I haven't seen all of the things, but from what you describe, it sounds like possibly there would not be a need for probate. You really ought to just talk to somebody and uh, confirm that with someone who can look at all the documents and the assets of that deceased person. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Susan. And Rick, can I just add one thing? You know, the people think they don't have property, but they have photos, they have uh, Facebook accounts, they have things like that that still need to be resolved. And certainly, you know, sometimes those things, the knickknacks, the things that are have personal importance are the most important things to resolve uh, with family. You can't really split those uh, evenly three ways. You can't, you know, the dining room table that everyone sat at, uh, you know, for Thanksgiving dinner that has meaning can't be divided three ways real easily. So those are things that a parent needs to think very uh, carefully about. And I tell, I encourage people who are doing their estate planning, their wills, I say you can refer in the will to a list of items that you're making that's outside the will. I'm going to have a separate list, Rick, that says I leave these items to these people. And you name the names and you list the things to put all the tchotchkes and, and jewelry and things in. But I tell them that in Mississippi, unlike some states, our courts are not bound to enforce a document that is not part of the will. So that could be a bit of confusion later on. If there is something of specific sentimental value that you want to make sure a particular person gets, name it in the will and put it in there so that it becomes enforceable in a probate matter and can be dealt with by the court. Excellent to know. Well, we have another call to go to. Beverly is calling from Jackson. Beverly, thanks so much for calling in legal terms. Go ahead. Um, I have three siblings, uh, a sister and two brothers, and our parents died um, nine and eight years ago. The, we were each given a copy of the will. My sister is the executrix of the, of the will, and we divided up physical things like photos and all of that but the half my sister and her husband are living in the house that my parents um, that is to be divided equally among the four of us plus there were bank accounts and things like that and when we bring it up my sister just says well I haven't had time to go through all that but it's been eight years (laughs) so is there a way to make her settle the estate? Yes, um, Beverly, it sounds like you need to engage some legal counsel in order to push this off of the status quo, so to speak. Um, Because, yes, there can be a reasonable amount of time for uh, someone to just not bring a will to probate when there are assets that would pass through the probate estate. And uh, One other issue that you mentioned is real property that's passing to children in in equal shares. That ordinarily happens through an estate where each of you would become the owners of a one-fourth share separately, not joint owners. Uh, Each of you owns a separate one-fourth interest. And the law provides that any one of you owners can file an action in chancery court to partite 
a partition action to have that property divided into four equal por parcels, but you can't divide a house into four equal sections. So the alternative would be to have the court sell it and distribute the money. So you do have that remedy as well uh, to get your value out of that property. But I think at this point, uh, something needs to be done to sort of make it start moving ahead. Okay. Well, the will um, did say that if any of us contested it, that they would be out of the will, but I don't see this as contesting. We're just asking that it be settled. That's that right. Correct? That's correct. And we have recent uh, Supreme Court case law in Mississippi that deals with no contest clauses, and it says there have to be certain uh, recognitions in that for the no contest clause to be valid. Because if you contest a will for a reasonable purpose, then that no contest clause does not prevent that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Beverly, we're glad that you called in. Uh, let's do one email before we get to our next break. Um, number one, I've been putting off estate planning because I can't decide on any family members or close friends who would be able to serve as an executor. How can I find someone or an entity I trust who doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, we often have clients who don't have a large support network of family or friends, close friends, and they're struggling to find people to serve as a power of attorney agent or an executor of their will. Uh, and so I tell them, I don't know how to create that entity for you. And the questioner, the email asked, how can I find somebody I trust? I sure can't answer that for you. It's have you developed a relationship with someone where you feel comfortable asking them, would you be the person who would sign off on paperwork the lawyer prepares to probate my will and would make sure that process gets carried out? That's what an executor does. And when the estate closes and the executor distributes the assets according to the court's direction, their job is over. So it's not a long-term thing like a power of attorney or maybe a trustee for a child for the years to come. Uh, I don't know how to say, yeah, I can tell you where to go find them. I mean, they're just not standing down on the corner. You know, it needs to be someone you trust that you think would carry out that responsibility. Banks uh, and trust companies will act as executors in uh, many cases if the will says that they can be paid, and, and our state law provides that executors can get paid for what they do. Uh, for the time they spend doing it. But a lot of times banks or financial institutions don't really want to do that unless they're handling some money as a trust maybe afterwards. And uh, uh, Professor Gershon, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, Rick, I think you're right. They want to. They typically want to have uh, larger resources to, to, to manage. Uh, and uh, I know that bigger banks, and I won't mention any, any by name, but I know one in particular that I did some consulting with, really, if, unless you had over a million dollars in assets, they really didn't give you the, the personal attention you needed, quite frankly. Uh, so that's, that's for bigger estates that you would use those kinds of entities, I think. And here's a, the second question, and then we'll take our break. What are the pros and cons of creating an irrevocable living trust during my life instead of just having a will and related POAs? 
All right. Uh, a will is just written instructions about what happens with my stuff when I die. That's the technical definition. I think it's in the law's book somewhere. Just kidding. Uh, a power of attorney agent is the person who would handle my affairs, my business and insurance and real property and finances, paying my bills, if I can't, you know, if I get incapacitated. Now, a will does not come into play until my death, and it only affects assets that I own in my own name alone. Because earlier with a caller, we talked about non-probate assets, you know, the joint ownership or beneficiaries and PODs. Those all go outside the will. A, a trust, and I think the question was an irrevocable trust, but they may be really thinking about a revocable or revocable living trust. And there are a lot of, lot of seminars and things out there about those uh, do a trust. I can set up a trust now, and I can name a trustee who would take charge and manage the assets, and I can deed property, my home. I can have financial institutions restyle the name of my account into the Rick Courtney Revocable Trust. Now my trust owns that. And the trust doesn't go through probate. Whatever's in that trust doesn't go through a probate at my death. The trust would say, at my death, the trust successor trustee, the person I've named to follow behind me, uh, and I should have two or three of those, really, uh, will step in and will distribute those assets as the trust describes, and it reads sort of like a will. So that doesn't, take, that doesn't require the probate process, which is several months and cost attorney's fees to do that. They just do it. Um, so that's one aspect. The trust would avoid the probate process. Another aspect we found helpful of revocable trust is there are stronger incapacity management. Some banks won't deal with a power of attorney, but they will deal with a trustee. So if my mother names me as the successor trustee of her trust and she gets dementia and she can't deal with her bank accounts, then I can step in as successor trustee, and I have, in fact, in that very situation, and I can manage her funds at the bank. And they know that I have the legal authority as trustee, as owner of those funds, to deal with them and tell them what to do. But if I'm just a power of attorney, I'm saying, well, I think my mother wants you to do this, and I'm asking you all to do it, and they've been burned with people misusing that. So they, they may not honor a power of attorney, but they may honor a trustee in handling funds. So that's two of the advantages, maybe, of a living trust over a will. All right. Well, we're talking with attorney Richard Courtney about conservatorships and elder law, whatever you'd like to talk about. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Call us with your questions. You could also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Are you curious about how guardians are selected? We plan on covering that later in the show. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our host and regular expert, and we hope you'll download our podcast. There's many different podcasting platforms. I just happen to use Podcast Addict. My husband uses Stitcher. You download it to your phone, and then you t- I touch the plus button. It took me, took me to the page to search for podcasts. Uh, then I, I search. I type in In Legal Terms in the search area and it brings up in legal terms and then I'm able to touch the photo and subscribe so that I can be notified when any new episodes are loaded up this morning we're talking about a state law we're talking about conservatorships elder law what to do if you have a special needs individual how to work with uh, uh, Medicaid or Social Security and our guest is Richard Courtney from the uh, uh, law firm who, who specializes in that, and we have three callers on the line. This is always a popular show. We're so glad that you're with us. Let's go to Sarah, who's calling from Louisiana. Sarah, thanks for calling into in legal terms. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask a question. I want to give my daughter power of attorney, uh, like a medical uh, power of attorney, and for my assets. Um, what would be the best? I don't know what to do, so I'm asking y'all. See, I, I am married. Uh, I'm, uh, my memory is getting bad, and I want uh, someone to be able to uh, make a decision whether I go to a nursing home or whether I go to a, an assisted living place. And my husband's in the same condition, so um, he's not quite as bad as I am, but he has four children, which none of them are going to take care of him. And uh, my daughter already pays my bills and my brother, who has real bad dementia. I have power of attorney over him, medical and, you know, complete control over what he does. I control his money and everything. And uh, what would be the best thing for me to do to make sure my daughter had um, the privilege of taking care of all this in case of, in case of a death of either one of us? Well, Sarah, I want to say hurrah. Good for you. You're doing the thing that everyone needs to do, young or old. I mean, uh, but let me ask, did you say you live in Louisiana? Yes. Then I would encourage you to contact an elder law or a state planning attorney in Louisiana to ask that question about powers of attorney because different states have different forms and formats for powers of attorney. For instance, in Texas, they have a checkbox kind of thing. Here's the things I want my agent to be able to do. And you have a list of things with checkboxes and you just check them. In Mississippi, we don't have that. And it's more of a textual, a narrative kind of power of attorney document. But in Louisiana, I'm not sure exactly what form or format they have. And I would suggest that you contact an attorney there to get that counsel about the best way to do those things. Okay. And if you if you email us, you know, or email Liz Gill here, uh, she'll get that to me, and I can maybe give you a name or two or suggest a resource to check to find someone there. Okay. I have the attorney that did our did my my will mm-hmm. and the power of attorney. You know, medical. It's, it's, it's all over my everything from my brother, you know, because, I mean, I take care of everything. And oh. um, But my daughter said she had an attorney in Covington or Slidell, 
and uh, we were going to go talk to him, but I just wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. It sounds like you are. Okay. I sure appreciate it. God bless y'all, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Let's move on to Rick, who's calling from Jackson. Rick, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. I just turned on the radio, so I hope I'm not asking a question that's already been asked. Can I, um, sort of a two, two-part two question, uh, can I legally uh, just write my own will without an attorney and it be a legal binding document? The answer is yes. Under Mississippi law, we uh, acknowledge what are called holographic wills. That is a will that is totally handwritten in your handwriting and signed by you at the bottom. It does not have to have witnesses like other wills, but it has to meet those two criteria. Okay, so, so could it be a typed computer with my signature or does it have to be handwritten? It has to be totally handwritten in your handwriting and signed at the bottom. And we generally don't encourage those because people don't re- recognize some of the things that might need to be in a will unless you're an attorney. Um, so my dad had a handwritten will before he died in 1989. His will, when he was diagnosed with cancer 30 days before he died, his will was handwritten on a piece of note paper folded up in his wallet. It was severely deficient. <laughs> didn't provide for my mother in some very, very dramatic ways. So during his 30-day illness, he did get it properly done and witnessed, and she was much more secure with that will that he finally died with. But, yes, you can do a handwritten will and sign it that is a valid will, as long as it's clear that what you're intending. And if I may, uh, this is the second marriage, so I've got children out of uh, another marriage. If in, in the house is in my in my name only, but I plan to leave my wife and, and our two children that property. So the other two children, if I just put them in a will uh, with with property that I own, um, is, is that just a valid way to do that? As far as uh, where it wouldn't be contested. Well, I can never tell someone their will won't be contested because somebody can always try to do that. But. Um, Yes, you can have a will, and I've sort of made a general statement to many clients. You can leave anyone anything or nothing that you want to, except a spouse. In Mississippi, we do have some strong protections for a spouse uh, that may provide for uh, the spouse to, if you if you leave them nothing in your will or you leave your surviving spouse less than they would have inherited if you had died without a, sp- a will, then they may be able to renounce the will and take a child's share, that is, take your number of children plus your spouse at your death and divide it by that many people, and that's what the spouse would get if they choose to renounce the will. Uh, but so, so all those things have to be considered in how you're drawing up a will. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Rick, if I can add one thing. Um, if Anyone who's been divorced, uh, who has remarried, and has children from both marriages really needs to think about maybe a trust, but also you need to think about all those documents that uh, may in fact uh, not be covered by your will. You mentioned retirement plans and things like that. And I know of someone who uh, was married once, got divorced. His entire retirement plan was to go to his first wife. Uh, He never changed that after he remarried. He did update his will. He had a child with his second wife. And when he died several years later, the retirement plan still went to the first wife because he never he never updated that. That's right. 
All right. We are going to take uh, Mike going, who is driving through Mississippi. Mike, be extra safe. We're glad you're listening to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. My dad uh, passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, he's married to a second wife. He told me and my uh, sister that we were in his will. Uh, I have not been able to get a hold of my uh, stepmother or anybody in that family to check the will. So I don't know what's going on with it. Is there any way I can get a copy of that will from the courthouse or something like that? Well, Mike, wills are not generally filed in the courthouse until a probate is opened. That's when the original will is filed with the court. So I'm not sure you can get a copy of his will from the courthouse. Uh, It's going to have to be obtained from whoever has that original will. And how you do that, I'm not sure. Um, Did he tell you who the executor of the will was? That would be the person you might think would have it. Yeah, I think it's my stepmom, but they're not returning my calls. Yeah, then you may need to get some legal counsel to see if there's a way to make a demand for production of the will. Uh, If you think you're a beneficiary in that will and you have some reason to think so, then you may have a right to have it produced so that that can be determined. Once it's probated, then can you get a copy through the court or you have to go get it... uh from the person that had the copy, the original. No, once it's probated, the original will would be filed and a copy of the will would be attached to that petition to probate the will. So you would be able to get a copy of that petition and the will itself and anything else that goes on in that probate after that from the court clerk. Okay, great. All right. Well, I appreciate your help. All right, Mike. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate uh, you calling in. Uh, We have just a few minutes left. Uh, We're going to take our next breaks. But if you have any questions, now is your chance to get them in. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest today is Richard Courtney, who specializes in elder law, but also families with uh, special needs. So we'll be getting into that when we come back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Don't forget about that podcast. Hit subscribe so that we know you're interested in our show. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law with our very special friend of the show, uh, Richard Courtney, uh, elder law attorney, works with estate planning. We're so glad that he could come in today. We have a couple of calls holding. Uh, Donald and Ken. 
in. Let's go on to Donald right now. Donald, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Good morning, and thank you guys for everything that you do. Love the show. I have a curious and confusing question. Um, my great-grandmother passed away, no will, left all the property to nine children. Three of the children have since died. Their children are claiming that the property that was left to their fathers belongs to them, but they've never paid any property tax. They live out of state. Do they have any rights to any of that land? I'm going to hang up and listen for your answer. Thank you guys once again. Dean Gershon, you want to take that one? Well, I think uh, one. Uh, thank you for calling. And one of the things that uh, you might want to do is listen to our podcast from last week on heirs' property because that actually does address a lot of these issues. And when there is no estate planning, there are all kinds of uh, complications that take place in terms of who owns the property. Uh, I think it would be good to try to, to get an attorney to help you. And there are people who will do this uh, at a low cost or even free basis uh, in some cases. Uh, we mentioned the North Mississippi Rural Legal Services, for example, and other legal services organizations like that will actually help you with, with resolve some of these issues. So I would, I would talk to an attorney. But, Donald, the, the law in Mississippi generally is if a, pers- if a person is an heir to property and they are deceased at the time the property owner dies, their children will become recipients of their share. So that, that's the way heir property often will come down. So the fact that those other cousins of yours are claiming that they own some interest may be actually correct. They may own a, a portion of interest in the property. The fact that they're not contributing property taxes does not affect that ownership. We've had situations where a client comes in and says, I've been paying property taxes on this property for years. Can I make these other people pay me their share and I said I don't know can you I mean they don't have to uh, and it's a, a function of maybe going to court possibly and saying I should have a lien against this property uh, for the all the taxes I've contributed for the benefit of everyone uh, but how you do that it's going to require some legal assistance I believe all right let's real quickly let's get to Ken in Jackson Ken we've got just a minute or two uh, we're glad you've called in go ahead Okay, it's Ken. Yes. Okay. Uh, my my wife disappeared ten years ago. Just walked out. Now that I have Social Security and a few other things, uh, is she still entitled to anything, or do I, or what should I do? Well, under Social Security rules, spouses, you're not divorced. Is that correct? Correct. Spouses do have some rights uh, to claim once the uh, worker, you're the worker spouse, the Social Security earner spouse in this case. Once you file for Social Security benefits, it may be that your spouse has some right to claim a benefit based on your benefit. It does not take away from yours, but it may be in addition to yours that she would have a right to, she'd have to file an application with Social Security to do that. Also, divorced spouses have rights. If they were married uh, at least 10 years, they can claim a benefit off of a divorced spouse once that person starts drawing Social Security. Okay. But uh, how do I divorce somebody I can't find? That would require a divorce attorney to answer that question, and uh, haven't done that in decades. So I think you need to ask someone. I, I'm not sure 
you know, desertion is the grounds for divorce that comes to mind if someone has deserted from you without you forcing them out. And and they've been gone at least one year. That usually is grounds for divorce under the grounds of desertion. But you'd need an attorney to do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, okay. We have one minute. <laughs> <laughs> what does sum up? Sum up what people need to know to plan for their estate. Well, they need to decide to do it first of all. Decide that it's a good thing to plan because if you don't plan, you're leaving it up to chaos and just some confusion. If I become incapacitated, my kids may fight over how, who's going to take care of me and how, and they start to feel some entitlement to what assets I own. I want to make sure that my assets will be there to meet my needs, that the people that I want to do those things for me are in place with the proper authority and a power of attorney or a trust or whatever it may be to make decisions about the things I I will need if I can't do that. And that at my passing, the assets that I have will be distributed in an orderly fashion I have seen clients who did family letters that they said do not open until you look at the will at my death and recently had two heirs who came in. One was getting more property than the other one, and the one who was getting less was really upset about that until we opened mom's letter that was to the executor, and mom explained why she did it, and then he became very comfortable with the decision she had made. So it can just create smoother transitions, keep family harmony in place, just get the planning done and see someone who's capable of doing that. Or if you're that kind of person, you could just stir up trouble. (laughs) Or just leave it up to chance. That's right. (laughs) Thank you, Richard Courtney, for being our guest today. My pleasure. All right. That's going to wrap us up today for In Legal Terms. Our call schooner today has been Michelle McAdoo. Our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. Gosh, we thank CJ up in Oxford who helps Professor Richard Gershon, host from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. Please join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 